ladies and gentlemen, this is another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am your host, Kyle Bird, and um, with me, I have my co-host. Matt Parmley. Uh, Hi, Bird. Hi. Thank you for introducing yourself. <laughs> Anytime. Um, and uh, we have a couple guest hosts. Um, we have um, our good friend Trev, who uh, is no stranger uh, uh, to anyone that may be listening. Um, hi, hi, Trev. Hello. Thanks for having me back. You know, I'm always I'm always pleased to be here. It's always a good time, but I'm always especially pleased whenever it's an episode where I think Bird might be miserable. That's uh, yeah, he loves making me watch Paul W. S. Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with with our history, me and Trev had another podcast called "If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It," and he jammed like how many of those? <laughs> how many Resident Evil movies are there? Six. Yes, uh, he jammed six Resident Evil movies into my eyeballs in like a week, and uh, I don't know You're that welcome. I've re- <laughs> I don't I don't know that I've recovered since. Um, uh, and you can also listen to Trev on his own podcasts. You got your Days of Future podcast, X-Men show, right? Yep, Days yeah. of Future podcast, examining the, examining the X-Men. Yep. And you got Failure to Franchise, where you uh, watch movies like maybe this one <laughs> that, <laughs> that failed to kick off a franchise, and yes, you talk yeah. about why. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, the fourth voice in the room. That's our friend Alex Rushdie, who um, is an uh, uh, independent game, video game developer of 13AM Games, um, working on the video game Dawn of the Monsters. Uh, how's that going, Alex? How's, how's, how's the game world? The game world is, is good. Um, exhausting. Like, we've uh, been... A, a, it's it's been a long month, but like, you know, this is the year the, the game comes out. So okay, uh, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, as a non-game person since like 2003, um, am I still to believe that Runbo is your most successful video game? That it is. Look at you. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember. See, I I know things. <laughs> and that is available on uh, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, all all that good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, just about everything. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, yeah, worlds are colliding. Um, Alex is one of our our G Fest buddies. Uh, we go we go back quite a ways. I think it was G Fest twenty twelve or something that I first met you. I and, think so. Yeah. And, and look at you! You're all grown up now. <laughs> got a thicker mustache now <laughs> um all right and uh well if we're talking paul ws anderson and especially mila jovovich is it jovovich or did, did i do it right trev no no okay. it's jovovich okay. you did it right the first time okay um uh if it involves those two i gotta get trev in here if we got mm-hmm. video game stuff going on, I gotta get Alex in here. Um, so, so they will they will guide us through um, whatever kind of quagmire we're we're about to navigate. Um, <laughs> so, good, good Monster Hunter. Wh- when did this come out? December or something? It came out around Christmas, I think. 
Um, anyway, I don't think anybody saw it because there's a pandemic, but, um, so Alex, uh, I, I guess I'll pivot to you to give us the history of, of, of this. I, I, three years ago or so, I did not know what Monster Hunter was, and suddenly I am, uh, to be, my understanding is it's like one of the most popular video game franchises in the world. Um, which shows how out of touch I am. Um, well, actually, I wanted to ask, can I ask Alex about that? Because he's about to give us the history. I, yeah. I think that's a good point, because, Bird, I'm kind of with you in that. Until I started hearing about this movie, and, and like you, I'm not a huge gamer. I'm more into like old-school games. I never kind of made it past like mm-hmm. the N64 era. But um, I feel like most of these like big franchises, right, video game franchises, I still like bleed into pop culture enough to where I've heard of them. And this one was like a weird blind spot to where the movie, I felt like, was like, when it was like oh, I guess there's a thing called Monster Hunter. And then finding out it's that popular. So I'm just also wondering if, if Alex has any theories on like why that might be, why this one seems a little less known from the normies, yeah. I guess. I've, me- I've met some people like since, like one of my coworkers today was talking about the new game and all this. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, and I was surprised to learn how old this this franchise yeah. is too, like yeah. 2000, like early 2000s. So yeah, Alex, tell us what, what the hell yeah. is this? What, what is this? <laughs> What's all this <laughs> what then? It? There's a good reason for what you just described, like, you know, it kind of sneaking up on you as a pop culture craze. That's part of the reason that, that Paul W.S. Anderson got the rights, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that a bit. So uh, for, I guess, our listeners who, who may not know, Capcom is one of the largest video game companies in the world, uh, and they're especially huge in their homeland of Japan. So I'm sure we all know who Capcom is. Like they started in arcades with Final Fight and Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom, and then they moved into console games, home console games with like the PlayStation and stuff for uh, Mega Man, Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, Dead Rising. Um, they, they're they're massive, uh, but in the mid 2000s, they wanted to move into online games, and at that point, they kind of uh, believe it or not, Capcom is a is a family run business, so. Uh, the CEO of Capcom, his name's Kenzo Tsujimoto, he asked his son to kind of lead development on a new online game for PS2. Uh, that game was Monster Hunter. It released in 2004. And it, initially, it was pretty popular in Japan. It sold about 1 million units. But it didn't really take off until it got released on the PSP because people in Japan love portable machines because you know, there's not a lot of space for big flat-screen TVs and big beefy consoles uh and there's a lot of commuting so people like to play stuff on the go and when monster hunter was brought to psp it just exploded but it exploded in japan um later on it was brought to wii and 3ds and uh, stuff like that and it slowly gained a bit of a cult following in north america but it wasn't really it was nowhere near the success in the rest of the world that it was in japan so it was one of those properties where in Japan, it was you'd see it everywhere you looked. And in the West, it was you know there were niche groups playing this game. Um, but like the size of the Monster Hunter phenomenon, especially in Japan, can't really be understated because it, since 2004, they've released uh, I think counting this Friday's release, 50 games. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> and they've they've sold over 66 million units. Um, and, but, you know, what's, I guess, and, and in, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, Capcom was in, in kind of, uh, 
a bad position where a bunch of poor creative and business decisions meant that like Street Fighter and Resident Evil, which are normally like massive money makers for them, um, were, were flopping. And the only reason that Capcom was able to stay liquid was because of Monster Hunter. So what happens is in around 2017, they announce a big new Monster Hunter that's targeting the West called Monster Hunter World. It comes out on PS4, Xbox, PC. Um, that becomes a worldwide mega hit. So for the first time in the series history, it was a global hit. It sold over like 16 million copies. So now Monster Hunter is, is Capcom's number one highest selling game series of all time. Monster Hunter World is their best selling game of all time. That's how it kind of snuck up. It's because it was always popular in Japan, recently became popular here. Mm. Um, and I mean, a general description of the game is... Basically, it's a cooperative, quote-unquote, hunting game. I mean, you're hunting with, like, giant swords and, I don't know, bow and arrow or, like, a big bagpipe. Uh, and uh, you, you fight monsters to build better weapons. Like, you carve their bodies into... You craft weapons and, and armor out of them. And then you, you can then fight stronger monsters to build better weapons. And the world of Monster Hunter is basically, like, what if dinosaurs never went extinct, but mankind still happened and and you know we we get to basically iron age human civilization living alongside monsters uh and trying to fight and defend themselves from them so uh basically as, as i understand it with paul ws anderson is way back in 2008 he took a trip to japan because you know he had been talking to capcom for resident evil movies for a while and he noticed that monster hunter was becoming incredibly popular in Japan, but it was nothing in North America. So he started talking to Capcom about, you know, possibly getting the rights to make a movie. And then sometime around um, 2016, 2015, he basically got in there early before the series took off. Said, I, you know, I definitely want to make a movie out of this. In 2016, they announced it. They announced the movie at Tokyo Game Show. Uh, and then we didn't hear anything for a long time. And, he, you know, he originally wanted to make a kind of young adult story, like, inspired by The Hunger Games. Um, that didn't pan out because I guess he didn't think the, the YA genre was going to stick. Uh, in 2017, there was some leaked footage of Rathalos and Gormagala fighting in the Eaton Center in Toronto. Um, then nothing. It Basically, it seemed like he got the rights and... Despite working on the movie, it wasn't... It seems like he was having trouble getting money for it. Then 2018 rolls around, Monster Hunter World comes out, sells tens of millions of copies, and uh, all of a sudden a bunch of movie studios are asking, hey, we want to make a Monster Hunter movie, Capcom, can you give us the rights? And they have to tell them, oh, actually, we already sold them to, to Paul. So he was kind of sitting there pretty with uh, a, a golden IP, uh, and then that kind of reinvigorated interest in the film, and he was able to finish it, you know, almost three years later. So, yeah, it's a movie that's kind of been ten years in the making, in a certain sense. And uh, it, was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have not seen that, I guess, leaked test footage or, or whatever. Uh, have you? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on YouTube. Um it's basically, it's very short. It was a VFX test of these two monsters attacking each other. 
in the Eaton Center at night, which it, apparently the early draft of the film was going to end um, at LAX. Like they were going to fight in the airport there. Um, but it, like it, it was the only thing we heard about the movie for like two years was this leak. Yeah. I will say, like, if I can come in just briefly, that was a, that was a great history lesson. Thanks for so long, because I didn't know any of that. But to defend Capcom just a little bit, and to do my job in this podcast as the Paul W. S. Anderson defender, um, <laughs> you know, people might listen to and say, like, "Well, I can't believe Capcom gave this guy those rights based on you know how big this franchise is." But just to, but to hear like when he was interested in it and when he kind of swooped in and got it, I mean, that kind of makes sense just because we have to remember whatever you might think of the Resident Evil films, that's a that's a billion dollar franchise. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty. I'm I'm, I'm well, assuming his relationship with Capcom is probably pretty decent you know i'm, I'm sure he he has pretty uh the, the door the door is open for him at capcom you know absolutely and i mean that's the thing is say what you want about his movies but like the man gets them done you know and and that's not an easy like i think it's sometimes hard to have the perspective of like it's not easy to get these off the ground i mean how long have we been waiting for a metal gear solid and a castlevania movie i mean i think 15 or 20 years those have been in development hell but like hold ws anderson if he says he'll do a movie, he, he does it, and that's worth money. Although I do have a Castlevania script written by Paul W. Sanderson. That has not happened. But. <laughs> uh, he tried his hand there. He tried he his hand. I don't, know, I don't know if that was just like a spec script that he wrote or that, if there was actually ever like a deal in place for that. But. Um, it's, it's interesting, and I don't know. Um, I mean, if, if we're glossing over anything, you know, we can feel free to, to, to chime in. Um, but uh, it's interesting, you know, that kind of brings us to the movie itself. And, and also, I think kind of the Resident Evil movies is that um, these movies really are, you know, by, by big blockbuster, you know, CG spectacle movies, pretty low budget. Uh, like this one yeah. was $60 million, and I, I think the Resident Evil movies usually circle that same amount, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only does he get a movie done, but... He can he can deliver it cheaply and you know quickly. Yeah, and like I I could tell as I watched it, but I was still pretty impressed that I was like, this is only sixty million bucks. Like, yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's surprising. Um, and yeah. he comes like prepackaged with a with a popular like leading lady, you know. So like when you when you get like him doing a property, you know you're going to get Mila. And she clearly has some, you know, appeal at the box office, which she doesn't. I don't think she gets enough credit for. Uh, we've we've had this conversation before, but uh, I'll have more to say about that during the movie. Obviously, um, yeah. a quick question for Alex before we we dig in here. Um, I guess there was some sort of collaboration. Speaking of Metal Gear Solid, between Monster Hunter and Metal Gear Solid, that had some sort of influence over this. Is that something that you can, uh, I guess, elaborate on? Yeah, so back in, I think it was around 2010, um, the game Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker came out on PSP. And and basically, this was Konami's uh, Metal Gear Solid game, somewhat inspired by the success of Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter is a four-player co-op experience, and um, Konami was like, well, we could make a Metal Gear Solid game that can be four-player co-op for the PSP. So they did this, and then they were like, well, why don't we just talk to Capcom and do a crossover with Monster Hunter? So there's a mission in there where you fight Rathalos, which is the poster dragon of the series, or sorry, poster wyvern, for those who are very sticky about that stuff. <laughs> uh, so so it was basically Solid Snake and some other soldiers with, with guns fighting a, a Rathalos, and I guess um, 
although Wes Anderson claims that was part of the inspiration for the film. Okay. Um, I, I have a quick question too, just really quickly, because it, it might feed into like some of my thoughts on a movie. Um, so you, you mentioned like what the gameplay is like, and it's just this kind of co-op hunting game. I am yeah. curious in terms of the whole series, you know, you said there's 50 games and it's been around this long. How complex is the mythology of this world actually from the games? Like, cause I, I know like, you, you know, you think of something like Mortal Kombat, which is just a fighting game series, but right. But then you look at it and it has this like very complex, very detailed mythology at this point. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's the case of Monster Hunter, like, um, cause the movie, you know, this is one of the things I'm going to talk about is its, its usage of mythology. I'm just curious. <laughs> Is the is the game has the series always been as simplistic as it's just hunting monsters, uh, or is there kind of a more complex mythology? Uh, well, so the series is, you know, this kind of it, it, it has very rich world building and very rich visuals and aesthetics and, um, you know that that kind of stuff. But for the first. Uh, would that be 14 years of the series life there was no voice acting like English or Japanese voice acting you know um, there every game was generally just about you being this nameless hunter who shows up in a uh, a village that needs defending from the uh, from different monsters you were sent there by by the hunters guild and then the game kind of plays out so like there are there's no magic in Monster Hunter. There are some some different species like there are wyvarians, which are just pointy-eared humans. Uh, there are palicos, which are just cats that can walk and talk. Um, but it's 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 kind of a and, and this is you know you might be shocked after watching the movie to hear this. It's generally a pretty light-hearted um, uh, game that's that's pretty light on on story. The story really is just to get you in there hunting. And um, and playing with your friends, it's it's never really been a, a core focus of the of the series. Mm-hmm. No, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say that like... actually reminds me of. <clears throat> Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I was. <laughs> I mean, the only game in the series that I played, and, and by the way, absolutely loved, was Monster Hunter World. But that's exactly what, and that's the newest game, and that's exactly what that game is. It's very light on plot. It's very linear. You have to be this quest to get to the next quest and you have to get better armor to fight the stronger monsters and like it's it's a lot of fun but there's not like there's a semblance of a story and if you pay attention to the quest they sort of lay out some very specific things that you have to do but it's not to the extent of something like uh, zelda or something like that like it's not it it doesn't it doesn't quite catch and that's fine like i the thing i loved about the game honestly is that it is so accessible and i mean i had a bunch i mean i i probably put like 200 hours into that game when 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 i look back at how long i played with my friends and stuff so it was an absolute blast um but it doesn't have like uh, i i guess we'll talk about this after we talk about the movie but one of the things that i've seen online is people complaining how the movie compares to the games and i'm kind of of the opinion where like i think they were in the right like their their heart was in the right place do you think they got everything right no, not necessarily, but I don't know what they were expecting either. So. Well, that's the, that's why I asked about that, because I want to say, like, you know, for whatever we're all about to say about the film, and I'm guessing there's varied opinions here, but I, I, to give him a little bit of credit in terms of having to approach this, this, this makes it sound like it's probably a hard game and franchise to adapt into a movie, even harder than Resident Evil, you know, because when you... People might think that's easy to say, oh, if the, the game has no story necessarily, so just make a movie like that, but that's a movie has a different expectation, 
So I, I bet it was kind of hard to sit down and figure out, okay, what do I do to turn this into some kind of narrative? Well, yeah, and, that and whether was like, he was successful or not will be our discussion. I well, if that was something I was curious about too, because like I watched this movie and like I, I, I was like, is there some lore here? <laughs> like that I'm not like I, I felt like it w- it was very light on on that kind of thing. So like I was yeah. I was just like maybe I just don't understand. Maybe there's like some mythology I'm missing, but uh, but um. There's, so, there's a couple of bits and bobs that, like, if you're a Monster Hunter fan, you'll notice, but it's it's just kind of light sprinklings of, of fan service. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really dig into the, the lore of the series. Um, okay. Well, uh, we'll it, you know, we, we can talk about the movie. So, speaking of, um, you know, this movie actually being pretty low budget, like I said, $60 million, um, this is a weird production. We're seeing it a little more, um, especially with... Um, studios out of, you know, China, Hong Kong, you know, getting in, you know, co-producing all these movies in Hollywood. But this is this is a, a one that's split between several studios. You have uh, Sony are the are the ones putting forward most of it through their, their Screen Gems label. Um, but then you also have um, this committee of studios m- making this thing. So, you have Sony and Screen Gems, then you have Constantine Films, then you have Tencent Pictures out of, uh, that. that's a, um, a Chinese studio, they co-produce Skull Island, and then you have Toho, yes, that Toho, um, all, you know, throwing in on this thing, so... Okay, it's really quickly, I just want to point out, like, I was very confused by the, when all the studio logos were coming up at the beginning. I don't know if anyone else has had this thought. I'm sorry to derail just for this, but if I don't say it'll drive me crazy. The, uh, <laughs> the Tencent Pictures logo, it looks like, um, you know that, like, famous GIF? I've never seen any of the uh, um, Despicable Me movies or the Minion movies, but there's that GIF of the one Minion walking with, like, a thong on. <laughs> And that is like that is yeah. what the ten cent pictures logo looks like, and that's what I thought it was. I was like, is this is that supposed to be that minion? Like, I was very confused. I'm sure it was intentional. <laughs> um, yeah, this thing has. I think you know those of us uh, that watch a lot of independent films are used to this. You know, you want you fire up a, you know, a horror movie that was you know made for ten dollars <laughs> or whatever, and there's like a hundred studio logos that's this has got to be the most ex- the highest budgeted movie that i've seen with that many logos it's like <laughs> five minutes of logos and we we, we get uh, a new uh at least my first time look- seeing it there the a new toho logo at the beginning that toho logo is wild <laughs> it's a ride um but uh, on that point just just like that's part of the reason that i i kind of believe and i am just speculating that's part of the reason that i believe that they were having trouble getting the money financed and that's why they went dark for so many years is because there's that that many people involved and it's still only like 60 million yeah that's pretty wild (laughs) i I think it's gonna i think this is gonna become more of the norm though i think we're definitely this is like this is the beginning of something we're gonna see more movies especially in this like this budget level as as you're talking about bird like obviously the hundred million and more movies are all gonna be coming from the big ones like disney and and Mm. universal and things but these kind of mid-budget movies now they're gonna be the byproduct of like so many studios working together just because of how much the distribution model has changed in recent years yeah Yeah, it makes sense like when even like I said, like when even a filmmaker like Anderson, who is coming off of a billion dollar franchise, needs to get this many studios to pitch in on his next video game adaptation with the same leading lady, 
that's 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 speaking to something. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I think I think you'll have even more of that with uh, <clears throat> with you know the situation COVID's put everyone in. Um, I I definitely think you're onto something there. Um, so here we have Monster Hunter, and uh, I, I guess I'll say right off the bat, I, the biggest complaint, speaking of budget, the biggest complaint that I've seen from like people that play the games are that it doesn't have a whole lot of, like I don't know, the crazy fantasy environments and, and stuff from the game, but I, I'm assuming to do that, this would have had to have been like a $150, $200 million movie, right? I mean, I've never played the game, but yeah. I'm assuming well, there, there's some pretty out there environments. I mean, yes and no. I, like the that's one thing that, to be honest, whatever fault I may have with the movie, I, I honestly thought that like the the sets, costumes, and and monsters were were pretty good and like actually pretty pretty well done adaptations. Like, there's not a lot of variety, uh, which to me felt like the budget. But there there are def- there, there are famous monster hunter locations that are in um, uh, you know deserts. Um, and and there are famous locations in that kind of oasis, jungly type of area. Like it did feel, it, it, Monster Hunter doesn't go crazy with um, with its environments to the point where they're not recognizable from real world environments. It just kind of makes them hyper real, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I didn't like. There are a couple of locations that are a little more fantasy based, but those are you know maybe one out of eight in in a whole game where you have eight environments. Okay. Um, so the movie is about uh, we have um, uh, the United States Army Captain Artemis, and uh, her and her team are searching for a different missing team in the desert. And there's a storm that opens a portal that leads them to Monster Hunter World. Um, <laughs> The new world, as they call it, I, I guess. Is, is, this, is this new world, is this part of the game, new world and old world and all this stuff? Sort of. Like in Monster Hunter World, um, they, the idea of the game is that you're traveling to an a uncharted continent that they call the new world. But like, it's a continent on the Monster Hunter Earth-like planet, you know. Uh, okay. So I, I think they were just trying to trying to call back to that, I guess. Okay. Right, because the connection to like our world in this movie is like a is completely an invention of the film, correct? Like that's yeah, not, yeah. That, there's yeah. nothing like that in the Monster yeah. games. I will say that's one of my pet peeves in any kind of like fantasy thing. This where, is something Bird and I have talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and Trev have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, where they either take something from our reality and put it into the fantasy element, or they take the characters from the fantasy element and put it into our reality. We see that from everywhere from, like, Masters of the Universe to, like, the Smurfs, where, like, they're in New York and, like, they're, like, almost getting hit by cars. Like, why can't you just make a Smurfs movie where they're in that Smurf village? I don't, I don't remember the name of the where they wherever they live but yeah it's like you know just so right off the bat that's where i was like you know just set a movie in the monster hunter world and you know build your do your world building you know anyway 
That's. I mean, I hear you. I will say I, I didn't find this one as like aggressively annoying with that because again, going to like the idea of the, the video game not having much of a story, and this one, like the logic behind it, at least kind of makes sense to me. You know, when you read like his what he was saying, where he's like, I wanted to have this character brought in who would be, you know, you'd be introducing this world to them through their eyes, and that's the audience identifier. Um, you maybe could have done it without it, but I, I don't think this is as bad as say the Masters of the Universe or no, the no, that's Super the Mario Brothers one. approach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I I'm also, I'm I'm assuming that when you're trying to make a big budget movie for 60 million bucks and the United States military offers you money to like oh, yeah. include them in a positive light you know or the, the the propaganda machine like I'm guessing you're just like yeah I'll make it work oh yeah like every, every every Hollywood project has contracts with the military in some capacity I think so so yeah no that that definitely probably helped yeah well I mean um, even look at the the legendary Godzilla movies where like the military doesn't get wiped out like the Japanese one does. Oh yeah, them. right. Yeah, and, like and that's uh, because they're paying for it. Yeah, I, I was say, I was just saying that to someone the other day. Like that's probably why in King of the Monsters, King Ghidorah has storms that follow him everywhere and wipe everything out. Because if you show him wiping out a city, you're going to have to get a, that military stuff involved and. So, uh, but yeah, the, so I, I guarantee you that probably helped them uh, immensely on, on this movie. Um, uh, so um, it, it does, uh, I think there's a couple, all the Resident Evil movies just existed as one movie to me. <laughs> but I, I think there's at least one where they do this, where like they kill off like half the characters in the first like half hour. That's the first one. Okay. Um, but yeah, they do this with like everyone in her uh, her group dying, and that includes um, uh, who do we got in there? We got uh, Megan Good, we got uh, T.I. Um, uh, <laughs> Pre cancellation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we got. Uh, the guy that played Stryker in all those X-Men movies, Young Stryker. Um, and uh, so uh, they all get killed by these big spiders, either eaten or big, or the, their bodies are used to, to nest. Uh, and so she's on her own, and uh, uh, Mila stumbles upon uh, Tony Ja, who is the hunter, and he uh, is, I guess, the only person left after a, a monster attack, and he got separated from his his group of people. And then um, they have some some buddy hijinks. Uh, they slay uh, the Diabolus, and then um, they go to a forest where there's some uh, more enchanting creatures. And then uh, uh, you get eventually to Ron Perlman as Tony Jaws, uh, I guess, the leader of his, his group, and they join forces, and then uh, uh, at the end they have to fight the Rathalos, and, and Mila is trying to get back to the portal so she can uh, go back to our reality. Um, and uh, it's clear that the people that exist in the New World don't really trust people from... Uh, I don't know what to call it. The Earth Realm. <laughs> That's Mortal Kombat stuff, isn't it? Our, our world. They call it our world. I world. mean, he 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 did Mortal Kombat. So, That's true. You know. 
Yeah, I was gonna say if, if the shoe fits. Uh, oh, and speaking of Mortal Kombat, um, well, yeah. So, so they don't really trust people from uh, from our world, and uh, but he's like, you know, yeah, well, if you help us kill this Rathalos, we'll we'll you know get get you on your way, um, and then at the end. Uh, it copies the ending of Mortal Kombat, uh, like, uh, to a T. T. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So I'm assuming that means if a second one gets made, like, I don't know, some, some, like, nobody AD or something is going to direct it, and Ron Perlman will get killed in the first three minutes or whatever. I have. (laughs) Then Tony Jaa will get a haircut and forget how to fight or whatever. I have two important questions, and the first one is to everybody, which, and the second one is really for Bird and, and Trev specifically, but the first question I have is, how awesome slash bad was Ron Perlman's wig? <laughs> like, that thing was amazing. Ron Perlman looks wild in this. I... It, was a, it was such a bizarre, and again, this is where I didn't know the games or anything, so I'm like, well, maybe he looks like something from the games, but it was such a crazy creative decision because that is not a character you can take seriously any moment he's on screen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's one of the and, and it's like I'm used to seeing terrible wigs in older ish movies, but like in a movie made today, I was it was very off putting for like mm-hmm. hilarious moments. Anyway, the other question I have for specifically Bird and Trev is how did you feel when the the palico the cat came out of nowhere? Like I, I was just really curious how somebody who wasn't familiar with the game felt about how they introduced the palico like two thirds through the movie. I didn't know what was going on, and and I'm like okay. This has to be, like, a game thing, right? Because he does this in the Resident Evil movies, too, is, like, he he pretty, he pretty like he does his own thing, and then he'll take something from the game that people know and recognize, and he'll just, like, throw it in with no context. And, I, and like, I'm, like, to me, this has to be what, what like, anyone that's, like, for example, to, to get it in the, the, you know, world of this podcast, anyone that didn't, hasn't seen the original Godzilla it, it's. I was probably as confused as they were if they saw King of the Monsters and there was that oxygen destroyer part. It's like, what is this? I, like, I have no idea what's happening. And I felt like that multiple times in this movie, but the cat thing was definitely one of them where I was like, okay, I just have, this is clearly a reference and I have no context for it whatsoever. Well, I, I have to admit, I, I didn't go in with like no knowledge of the cat being just because I'd seen like gifts of him already. Um, on, on Twitter and stuff and people talking about that character. And I, I'd say like the same thing. Like I just assumed it's something from the games. This is why I kind of think the decision to have the main character be someone from our world somewhat works because when that character shows up, you can play the confusion. Like what Bird was just saying, the audience is of course like, what? But so is Artemis, right? Like to, to Artemis, that's like, oh my God, there's a cat person. Um, I, I, I liked it. Like I thought it was funny. And like, I even like they, they play that in an interesting way where, she kind of finds the character just kind of cute, right? And it's like it's it injects a little humor into that section of the film. So it was it was weird enough that I enjoyed it, but it certainly is strange. It's even kind of a fun joke, like when she first sees him and Ron Perlman's like, "What? You guys don't have cats?" Like, yeah. <laughs> but I, I I was definitely. Uh, I, beside myself yeah. i mean other than the fact that the cgi of it is not great i i still could have used more of the cat chef like and i'm sure alex is going to come in and tell us like what that what the character's called and everything but i'm just gonna it's cat chef cat chef is what i'm going to keep saying throughout all yeah, of this I, I actually I, I like cat chef better than anything else all right well, I, give, a, know, yeah, give, a, give us that, give us the history uh, of the cat chef 
Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so this is... Monster Hunter is a series that is... Um, I, I wouldn't say it's aimed at kids, but it's it's an all-ages experience, right? Uh, it's And it's played by a lot of kids. Uh, it was on the 3DS. And there's a lot of cute and funny elements to the game. And, and um, when the when the game was brought to PSP, uh, which meant that you like couldn't really have a constant friend around to play with and you couldn't play it online, they were like, well, okay, if, if you don't have friends around um, and you're playing it by yourself, here, you can take this walking, talking cat that you can dress up in armor, and you can take this cat into battle with you. And um, and it was a fun addition to the game. And it became so popular that it just, they started taking over more and more, uh, I don't know, areas of the Monster Hunter brand to the point where there are games that are only about these, these cats. They're called felines. Um, is the name of these of this kind of race, and uh, and they exist in the story. Like they just walk around and talk and do all sorts of stuff. And in every game, there's a chef who uh, you talk to before you go out on a mission. They cook you up a nice meal, and that meal, depending on what you kind of pick, uh, will give you a bunch of bonuses before you head into battle. So the chef on in in the movie is based on like the most recent. Um, version of the of the feline chef and that scene actually like almost shot for shot recreates a sequence in the game where he cooks a giant steak for you um yeah i was gonna say that it's like directly lifted from monster hunter world and the you actually have a palette like if you go on a quest the game is basically made so that you can take other people with you but if you and another if it's just you and one other person you both actually take your palicos with you, and they will fight the monsters alongside you, which is kind of what the end is playing to. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of like Star Wars in a way, where like they just meow, but everyone understands them. Okay. You know, kind of like R two D two. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, I guess I guess we'll we'll kind of kind of give our our first impressions here i i want to start with alex and matt just because you guys are more familiar with the game um so uh one of you uh go first what'd you think of monster hunter you want to go first (laughs) um so i enjoyed this a lot more than i expected to i wouldn't say it's like quote-unquote good but like i think that it captures the spirit of the game enough and i appreciated what they were trying to do with it um it does add a lot of horror elements to it uh that are definitely i mean i've only played the most recent one uh so the the horror elements of the game i would defer to alex on but like you know that that part seemed a bit much but at the same point like i thought it was also pretty fun and I really think for me, they nailed the monsters and the, the, the designs were great. I actually thought, I'm like, okay, you know, it's a giant desert, but like, that's actually one of the many sort of areas within the game. And so like, I just, I thought they, their heart was kind of in the right place to capture the spirit. They got the, like the weapons they were using were all ripped directly from the game. And one thing I want to talk about for just a brief second is like some of the complaints about the movie from say like diehard monster hunter fans were like, okay, 
well, you have these weapons like the dual blades, but they're, you know, they're they're not they're not using Rathalos's weakness. Rathalos is not weak to fire. He's actually, you know, weak against dragon. And like people were mad about the color that the the weapon was glowing. There's a whole section of the movie where, as they're like training with weapons, they glow. Well, in the game, that represents like the kind of um, the type of weapon you have. So you have like like um, you have the like dragon, you have fire, etc. And monsters are weak against different types, but like. Who cares? I guess is my point to that because the only people that would catch that would be the diehard fans, and it's very clear they picked the red for more of the aesthetic color than the function. Because who wants to sit in a movie where they're telling you about all these different types? And they they use other things like they have like the sleep um, function where they they put the Diablos asleep or whatever. So like I don't know that that part didn't bother me. Alex, what did you think about that? I, I mean it. I noticed it, and I thought it was funny and and dumb because, like, hey, let's fight a fire breathing dragon with fire. Um, so, like, it, it was something I definitely caught all the instances where I was like, oh, that you know, that doesn't make sense, or, or that could have been done better. But like, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't. Those are like little plot contrivances that don't really pull me out of a movie, um, and they had enough moments where you actually got to see. Like the the part where Tony Jaw makes a weapon out of the uh, Nursilla carpus, like when he makes the arrow, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because it's it's disgusting, but it shows something that's part of the game that you wouldn't normally see. So I I didn't I thought it was stupid that they missed those mistakes, but I didn't really mind. Um. Well, Alex, as as someone that's you know followed this series, just. What were your, I guess, initial first impressions or first thoughts, uh, just on on how 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 they did? Uh, I mean, it, like, it, as a movie, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, to be totally honest, <laughs> uh, there were certain. Uh, l- let me start off with the stuff that I liked. Uh, I do think that they, especially given the budget and stuff, they they actually did a great job um, visually and aesthetically. Uh, The costumes, the sets, and and the monsters, um, even though they they injected that really disgusting element of giving one of the monsters an ovipositor kind of like, you know, alien vibe where they had spiders bursting out of a a dude's body. Right. I that that doesn't happen in the game. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's, that's, I, I saw that and I was like, this is a game played by like 10-year-olds. And <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what, I was, <laughs> what and, I was thinking. Like, I don't remember that in the game. Yeah, it was it was gross. Um, so that, that part was actually, you know, the special effects and stuff were actually uh, pretty fun. Um, and like, you know, obviously there was the military thing, which I thought was pretty stupid, but the way the movie handles it, it... I wasn't as irritated with it as I thought it would be. It kind of just... We've seen worse, know. yeah. Yeah, well, I've, we've seen worse, and it also... It just gets to the movie pretty quickly. It doesn't It doesn't have, like, a whole 30 minutes where they're fighting soldiers in Afghanistan or something. They just drive into a storm, and all of a sudden, okay, it's Monster Hunter now. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, all in all, like, it, it was... It, let me put it this way. I'm a huge Monster Hunter fan, and I, I didn't really have an intention to watch this movie. Uh, because I didn't have high expectations of it, and after watching it, like 
parts of it were kind of cool, but overall it was, you know, n- not something I would likely revisit. Okay. I don't think I'm too far from your overall thoughts. I, 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 I'll agree with you, definitely. Uh, I did like the brevity of the setup, you know, where, yeah, you, you, you're not spending a whole first act doing something else. It's just, okay, it's Monster Hunter. Um, uh, I liked... Tony Jaw and Mila, I like. I like the in the I, in the middle where it's kind of like, kind of turns into a buddy movie for a little bit. Um, you know, I, I thought some of their interactions were actually kind of charming. Um, same with like her kind of thinking the 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 cat guy is like kind of adorable. Like you know that was kind of fun. Um, uh, the CG and the monsters, I thought. Were, were pretty well done. I think the weakest CG is the cat, but, you know, Diabolus and, uh, I thought especially was, was done pretty well. Um, I think they probably saved a lot of money just by, you know, doing it all in the desert and stuff, but, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's why the monsters look as good as they do. Um, but yeah, the, the, the plot itself, um, and it sounds like it might not even have mattered <laughs> if I was a, a, a fan of the game uh was really just kind of like it didn't make it you know i thought it it didn't make much sense i i i didn't really understand like much of the i guess lore that's in the movie like the stuff with the sky tower and why it's there and you know like it, it are Ron Perlman and his team are they the only people that exist in this world? Like, you know, there were a lot of like. What, what, is there a general that's like a population? <laughs> that, that, I think that, that that's a good point. Just because, like, I, and I want to ask if, if other people felt this way, but the the movie has a really strange structure to me, and the first half of the movie is this kind of intimate, almost dialogue free. Milo Jovovich and Tony Jaw surviving on a sort of sand island, and then halfway through the movie, it's like, all right, that's done. Let's go to the tower. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I really, I, I didn't really quite understand like what this world like was. Like, I, okay, there's like ten people that live here. <laughs> you know, um, uh, uh, I, I liked the little. Um, Alex, you'll know the name. They're like the Ankylosaurus-looking dudes. Oh, the, I think they're called Apsaros. Yeah, yeah. I like those guys. Uh, that scene was kind of weird where, um, you know, the 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 big dragons, like, 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 storm that jungle they're in, and Ron Perlman and Mila do, like, a weird fire dance. Like, that, I... <laughs> I, I didn't know what that was about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just swinging away at the air. <laughs> um, yeah, the Sky Tower stuff is where the CG gets a little more shaky. Um, and then, uh, but I did like uh, the kind of last f- battle where the Rathalos goes through the portal into our world and it takes out the plane and stuff. I, I, you know, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I thought that was pretty fun. Um, I, 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 yeah, I think the middle part is, 
is I, I like the kind of buddy stuff with Tony Ja and, and Mila, but it's kind of strange because it, it does get repetitive. Like, um, she gets to his hideout or whatever, and they fight, and then, you know, she ties him up or whatever, and then she escapes, and then they fight again. Uh, like, we had two, like... It, it was like two of the same scene <laughs> like back to back and and i for the most part i think the action in this movie is pretty solid but the actual those two fights between the the two of them i i just the editing was like really bad uh and, and like, the second fight is like eight minutes long yeah it, that it, it was very long yeah it just <laughs> that was just really a strange decision to me like we only needed that scene once, and and like I said, yeah, the editing was like super choppy, and like it it, it was not the best. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, I I I think the movie was I don't know, it was kind of average, but I I I've had a better time with it than you know some some recent movies like like. I like this more than I probably like this more than like Rampage. Rampage has better monster stuff, but like like you know, I I felt the characters and stuff in this were a little more enjoyable. Um so Trev, uh the defender of Mr. and Paul da- Paul I almost said Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch Paul Thomas Anderson's Monster Hunter. For yeah, sure. so would I. With Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. He's the, he I would can... also watch Paul W.S. Anderson remake There Will Be Blood. <laughs> yes. With Mila as Daniel Plainview. <laughs> um, except you don't defend Paul W.S. Anderson for, what, he, like, killed a dude or something? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was problems with, uh, they had an unfortunate stunt accident yeah. uh, on The Last Resident Evil, yeah. Was it the last? Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't, I couldn't remember which one. Anyway, yeah, yeah what, what were your, your initial impressions of, of Monster Hunter? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do my job here, but I, I will be as honest as possible because uh, so Bird brought me on because uh, you know I'm so I've I've been in love with Mila for over two decades now, and and I am a defender of Paul W. Sanderson. I'll talk about why a little later. Um, I, I usually get there when whenever I'm talking about his films, but uh, in terms of just this one, first of all, I knew we were in good hands when the movie started with this quote. Um, it is entirely possible that behind the perception of our senses, new worlds are hidden of which we are totally unaware, and that quote is unattributed. <laughs> Why did, yeah, why did they do that? Uh, that's what I was like, okay, all right, I know what we're getting into now. But uh, so, yeah, um, I, I can only talk, so I can only talk about this film as someone who approached it not knowing anything of the games. And I think that's a good perspective here to put up against Matt and Alex. And um, I was just approaching this wanting a B movie monster, you know, Mila fighting monsters movie. You know, I got excited when I saw the posters of just Miliovich holding a big sword. Um, the trailers seemed intriguing to me just on the level of, okay, it's just a movie about, you know, a, a hot leading lady fighting monsters. And I will say that I, I was really, really enjoying this movie for a lot of the same reasons Bird just pointed out. I think this movie is at its best during the first two thirds. I was like really, really engaged. And I, I mean, yes, it's just kind of a corny B movie, but I thought it was doing really well. Like I, I thought the action was really enjoyable. One of my biggest pet peeves that, that Matt and Bird are very aware of is, um, with modern kaiju films, how they're all the CGI kaiju battles are in the dark always. Yeah, no, and I and love the this, rain. This movie was yeah. like this movie just put it all in the daylight and it looked great. And it was just to me, I was like, see why if this sixty million dollar movie can do it, what's with Legendary? You know, um, 
I, I really enjoyed the action. And like Bird, I was really, really into the movie when it was just the buddy movie between uh, Artemis and Hunter. I thought Emiliovich and Tony Jaa had a really fun chemistry together. And I was like, uh, for whatever, you know, yeah, I, I liked that, you know, it's, it, it wasn't ever, there wasn't ever a case where suddenly he learned English um, or anything and they started really communicating. It's all built off of how difficult it is for them to communicate, but they were really fun. Uh, a lot of good, like, humor there. I liked watching them train. I liked, I mean, I didn't even mind the fights, maybe just because. I was just kind of amused by the idea of Miljovic beating up Tony Jaa. Uh, it's just so <laughs> stupid. That it was like making me laugh every time. Um, where I will say the movie started to fall apart for me. And this is why, uh, I mean, I'm, ultimately I am on the pro side of this movie. But I do think when you get to that sequence where the the other hunters show up, and especially when, when Ron Perlman shows up, this movie is at its weakest in the last third when it starts trying to establish all this mythology. And it does it really poorly. And well, yeah, it's almost the, like the, why the, why establish so much of this like well, when you have so like a con- half hour left? So condensed, yeah. It, the movie really goes off the rails there, and I so I end up writing a list of questions I still had at the end of the film, and some of these speak to the entire movie, but some of them come through from the end. So, um, first of all, I I'll just read the questions I wrote in my notes. Uh, what exactly is this world like? What is the society of this world? What is its culture? How many people live here? Who created the Sky Tower? Why did they create the Sky Tower? Who is starting up the Sky Tower again? Uh, Why does Ron Perlman decide to help Earth at the end despite being so anti-Earth earlier? What does Mila's wedding ring mean? And what happened to the Hunter's family? These are all questions that are answered. And I was just thinking, this was a movie that was made with the confidence of someone who just took another video game franchise uh, adaptation that was never critically loved, actually kind of sometimes critically reviled, and got six films out of it and made a billion dollars. And uh, and you can look at this movie and say, ooh, he definitely thought they were going to get to make more of these. And it's he's just, he's doing, in the last third, he's doing so much like setup for sequels. Like, I'm going to pose all these questions that I'll get to in the next one, but you can never take that for granted. And this movie ends on a more frustrating, um, you know, sour note for me than any of the Resident Evil ones do, which all those, you know, they, they always end on cliffhangers, but they felt kind of more complete unto themselves. And this one, unfortunately, doesn't. But, I, but I'd but i say, like, from, like, the beginning to b- that about that sequence, like, the, so for the first two-thirds, I think it's a really, really fun, like, just B, like, big-budget B-movie monster action epic with, like... I, oh, also, I just want to say, too, I love the score. Nobody talked about the score yet, but I thought the music was awesome in this movie. I like the I, score, I actually, too. I wasn't, I wasn't that big on the score. But, I mean, that also could just be because, like, I mean, Monster Hunter games tend to have, you know, Tokyo Philharmonic putting together these beautiful, beautiful compositions, whereas this was a little more like what I would expect from a B-movie electronic video game. Yeah. Yeah. So it felt like someone was like, hey, it's a video game, and he's like, I got it. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, part of that is probably my my expectation. Yeah. Don't we get uh, the end... It might even be in like there's a there's a mid credit scene that it meant absolutely nothing to me with with the cat fighting another monster that I'm assuming you know is popular, um, but don't we get a look at a guy in a hood, like mm-hmm. in the tower, like looking? Yes. So that's got to be who who did it, like who's doing it? But yeah, I don't know why. Alex, do you have, can you answer any of those questions? No. Okay. <laughs> It, that 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 character is nobody, and, <laughs> uh, and and funnily enough, like the monster that they're fighting at the end. So, 
with with every Monster Hunter game, they have what's called a flagship monster. So they have this big bad monster that's kind of the villain of the game and that's in all the marketing materials. And the the monster they fight at the end is a flagship monster from like six years ago, seven years ago, um, which shows when the script was written because it's been uh, that yeah. long. Um, but but yeah, no, the the, the stinger has no. Uh, it's not like a stinger in a comic book movie where they're like, oh, this is that bad guy from this issue. No, it was nobody. <laughs> okay. The other thing I'd say too, and, and Bert will know what I'm getting at here, is like in terms of like another reason I, I enjoy this, if, if you're just looking at it as like an action movie. Um, so again, here comes me defending Anderson again. But I feel like Anderson as a director is kind of a chameleon director where he will adapt his style to whatever is like popular at the moment. Um, I think he's like very kind of just brazen about that. And well, I don't you, know you even I don't, see I don't, that with like his original idea was to have like a teenage protagonist and it'd be like a YA thing. And, right. But and I'm even talking about like his filmmaking style, right? I don't like you. I mean, he, there's certain stylistic uh, action elements that he kind of goes to a lot, but he also will do like what seems popular at the moment. And I went into this like a little worried because, um, and I know this is a complaint of birds as well. The action in uh, Resident Evil 4 and 5 was, like, so good because he, like, had to do it for 3D, and it was, like, it was very stylized but very cool. And then in the sixth one, for some reason, he decided to, like, divert to that, like, hyper-editing action style where, like, you can't tell what the hell is going on. And that's always been, like, the sore point of Resident Evil 6 for me is that it's, like, oh, suddenly it's, like, every fight is, like, 300 edits. And I'm, like, what the – I can't understand – I can't see anything. Yeah. And I was really worried in this one. And I was happy to see he really calmed down. And I thought there was a real clarity to the action in this and that all the action scenes were very easy to track what was happening. Um, So, yeah, it was just, again, I was happy that he he, kind of got that out of his system. Or maybe he just heard people complain about it. It was, like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I I will say that, you know, I I, kind of agree with you that, like, that first, I don't know. If, I don't even know if it's half the film or if it's more than half. But basically, that period where it's just uh, Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaa surviving the horrors of Spider Island mm-hmm. is like the best part of the movie. I I ended up kind of hating the characters a bit when they started to be just like mean to each other. Like I mean, there's a point where Mila Jovovich uh, notices Tony Jaa praying to some like idols so he's like you know engaging in some religious practice and so when she escapes and ties him up she like trashes it which is already (laughs) like okay you're an asshole then you later learn they weren't religious idols they were idols representing his family that was killed and you're like that's actually worse um so like they're assholes to each other but they do have some of that chemistry and and that was enjoyable and I, i also like it was so weird to me that there was almost no dialogue, mm-hmm. um, but I was digging it. I was yeah, you don't get that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was just like, like imagine a version of this movie where you never get the whole like Ron Perlman and his team showing up, and it's just this like interesting two-hander of these two characters barely talking and fighting monsters. Like if it, it if it went all the way to the end like that, I would walk away from this kind of impressed, being like, wow, that's almost like a strange experimental movie, you yeah. know, masquerading as like a, as a B movie. Um, but unfortunately I feel like it, it, yeah, it feels like it kind of gets a little cowardly or chickens out at the end and feels like, Oh, we got to do all the re- the regular uh, video game movie stuff and throw in all this mythology. Yeah. And I, I honestly think, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I honestly think that that final act was, was tacked on in a later revision. Cause like those characters are all from the newest monster hunter game. And I feel like someone just wanted them in there because they're from the newest game, and people would recognize them. So when you so, say characters, do you yeah. mean like, uh, like, like, like Ron Perlman is a character from Monster Hunter World called the Admiral, who 
in the games is this gigantic beast of a man who's just jacked, and in the movie it's Ron Perlman wearing a wig, um, and he's a real character who actually like talks in English, like like you know the, all the all the people you see on the ship are real characters from the most recent game, um, including the cat. So I, I feel like they were included just because of the popularity of the game. Hmm. Uh, I will say there is no way you can get me to believe that you can be in a desert and go through all that stuff and have a perfectly intact Hershey's bar in your pocket. <laughs> this is the most unrealistic thing in that movie. Okay, now you now you asked this question in the thread, Bert, and I told you to save it for the podcast because I because I want to ask you this. Okay, so you're you're complaining about the, <laughs> the validity of the chocolate bar moment, but I will I will counter that with a, another question. If you were in the desert with Miljovovich and Miljovovich offered you a chocolate bar that had been sitting in her pocket in her pants for like you know a day, as melty as it is, are you going to eat that chocolate bar? Well, yeah, yeah. See. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying oh, also, that, that it should have been like just a pile of mush in a wrapper. Um, speaking of chocolate, did, did did anyone remember the scene? Uh, kind of after they make it to the uh, oasis, where they're just cooking meat and eating meat and drinking some kind of alcohol. Mm-hmm. That that is a hundred. That's one of those scenes that's like the. Uh, the talking or the 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 cat chef, where all that is is just like a wink nudge to Monster Hunter fans, because in the games you can cook meat to restore your stamina and you drink potions to restore your health. So like that that scene just existed for for that purpose, and it was pretty weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> that did make me realize though, like the part where she she peels off like the 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 skin of the Diabolus like that. And, and mm-hmm. when he makes the arrow out of the, the spider stinger thing, like that's, that's like you were saying, like in the game, you, you carve up the, the dead monsters. So I was like, okay, that's, that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm wondering like, I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's... Do you guys see a sequel on the horizon here? Well, I, I know that the movie... I mean, do we want to talk about what happened in China? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and let me... I, I think that was removed when I watched it. Was. It. It, it was. It was, yeah. So yeah. Was that, that was removed everywhere, not just in China. Yeah, they removed it, I think... I think that was, like, something that came up in, like... Preview like critical screenings and preview screenings, and it got removed before the actual like major release. Of okay, it. Well, this says it was just after the Chinese release date, which was December fourth. Here, it didn't come out until okay, I, th- I think a week later. I think um, so. This is like an, this is like an Exorcist two story where it like came out and then actually got reworked while it was in theaters. Yeah, so so it came out here on the eighteenth. Um. So so yeah, there was. Uh, uh, this, uh, I guess the, the guy, the Chinese guy that is part of the, the hunter group, um, uh, played by this actor, 
Um, let me see if I can find his name. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Jin I Young is Axe. Um, so there's a scene um, where uh, he he jokingly asks, "Look at my knees." Uh, to the question, what kind of knees are these? And he replies, Chinese, uh, which Chinese viewers took as a, re- a reference to a racist chant, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, and is an insult to Chinese people. And uh, uh, the movie was removed from circulation and... I'm looking here. Uh, <laughs> this says Chinese authorities censored references to it online. And uh, Tencent had to modify the movie. Um, and yeah, Alex, what else happened? It, was, it sounds like this was a big thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm trying to you know recall, but it was pulled from from theaters almost instantly. And I don't like, this is one of those movies where kind of like, um, you know, Pacific Rim and Transformers, they were really banking on China. And to have this happen, I think just puts such a damper on that's the a, Yeah, that's a huge financial prospect. Oof. So I, I think that like, it, Wikipedia says that it, it only made 31.7 million at the box office. Um, and I'm sure part of the reason it's so low was because I, I don't even know how long it was in theaters in China. I, I don't even know if they, like did it come back. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it might have just been pulled. Period. Yeah, it's a tough one to figure out, like in terms of like sequel potential, because this this movie had a double whammy. It had it had the, the, that whole Chinese controversy, and then. It also just had the, the, you know, it came out during the pandemic, which obviously that's a huge part of this as well. I mean, so it didn't even ha- it didn't have an opportunity to make the kind of money it might have made even in America. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's hard to figure out. Like, it's easy to look at this film and say, like, well, this was never going to be a hit. But I think I don't think you can just say that with any certainty, given that the Resident Evil movies made money, you know. And it's interesting to think, like, what would the box office difference have been if this came out in a non-pandemic time? And they, put, and they found the right time slot to put it into and they were able to like really promote it because this movie also wasn't very heavily promoted because obviously when they realized it was just going to get dumped during the pandemic, they just kind of gave up a little bit. Yeah, which maybe helps them because in terms of like having to make back their money at some point, you know, um, they probably don't have that. You know, you always hear like, well, you got to look at the budget and double it because of promotion. That's probably not the case with this movie. <laughs> I don't know how much money they spent on promotion. I see it hasn't even been released in Japan yet. Um, yeah, it comes out like next week in Japan. I don't know how much that will ultimately add to its box office. I, I think, don't know if that's going to save it. You know, I think the only way this gets a sequel is if they're just willing to take a risk because of his previous successes. If they're willing to take a risk on this maybe being a franchise and just saying like, well, we understand this didn't do as well because of the pandemic, but you made so much money with the other series. Let's see what happens if we do a sequel in like a non-pandemic world. But that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. It does also raise the question of, um, you know, what even defines a success <laughs> right now? Um, interestingly enough, I, I was looking at an interview with Adam Wingard earlier, and they were asking him, like, well, with COVID and everything, what it, what would this movie have to do for Warner Brothers to consider it a success? And he said uh, it would have to be big in the Chinese market, where, like, everything's pretty much open, 
like theaters, and it would have to clear whatever the highest is right now theatrically, which is Wonder Woman, which was forty five million. So if Wonder Woman is like Wonder Woman's domestic take is forty five, uh, and Monster Hunter, and that's like you know, oh, that's super good for the climate we're in, and Monster Hunter. Uh, overall <laughs> is at 31 i i don't know that <laughs> i don't know that anyone even in the best of faith could say that was a success yeah yeah, yeah. this movie was a little bit of a sacrificial lamb right like they were this was this way they put out the time to kind of test the waters in yeah. terms of how movies might do during the pandemic you, you kind of wish that well you probably don't care but you kind of wonder if maybe they should have just held on to it a little bit longer and try to put it out like right like now right as the things are starting to get a little bit back more to normal um, yeah. But the problem with that also is that they knew if they did that, it would also be competing against every other movie that's been waiting. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and even with things like Godzilla vs Kong, like I'm willing to bet that Warner Bros. is going to be looking less at box office and more at like, hey, what was our spike in subscriber count to HBO Max? Yeah, right? and, like, and that's another thing is this wasn't this isn't streaming anywhere. Yeah, at least this, in this didn't get a streaming and theatrical dual release like a lot of movies are. And I know, I, I don't, like, Sony, what do they have? They have, like, Crackle. <laughs> like, nobody cares about Crackle. <laughs> but, you know, I I don't know if maybe they could have made a deal with Fandango or, I don't know, some, some rent service or something. But I, I am wondering, like, if that was the best move. You know, and yeah, it's 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 hard to say, and I I mean it's gonna come to streaming eventually. I just don't know what what someone like Netflix would pay for it. Like we we know Netflix is willing to pay two fifty million for Godzilla versus Kong, um, which I mean hell that that would pretty much break the movie even from day one. But like for Monster Hunter, I don't think they're gonna offer anything near that. Um, yeah, it seems it feels like the kind of movie that back in the day it could have like made some of that budget back and got a sequel based on physical media, but that's not a thing anymore either. Right. So like the Blu-ray has been out for a while. I doubt it's selling that hot. Cause again, also by it, by having like this weird truncated, no promotion theatrical release, people don't even know this movie exists, you know? Yeah. So like the Blu-ray was kind of thrown onto market where people probably see that in this, on the shelf at Walmart. They probably think like, it what is, what is this? Like video. Yeah. 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 I I'm, I'm willing to bet though. I, I think the movie has, uh, has made back its budget you know like i i think that the box office for this movie tells a really small part of the story um just because it's probably more viewed on on vod or or that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and you know studios don't like sharing those numbers yeah but yeah i i i don't think it would be enough for for a sequel or i'd be very surprised I know, like, Paul W.S. Anderson has already signed his deal for his next movie, and that is also starring Mila, of course, you know. Um, it's the kind of thing where, like, maybe if that comes out and, like, blows up, then they'd be like, well, what do you want to do next? And if he has, like, some clout to say, well, can we try this again? Um, but also, like, he's a guy who seems to be... I wonder if just the whole, you know, seeing the movie kind of flop the way it did because of the circumstances, I wonder what his, like, motivation would be to go back. Is he willing to just... Does he just look at this now like, well, I gave that the old college try... Let's go on to something different. I could see it getting probably the wait probably wouldn't be as long, but like kind of like how now we're getting another Mortal Kombat. Like someone else in ten years or something will will take another another swing at it. That's my uh, that's what I would predict anyway. 
the law uh, this is a good point i i just want to get this in before we wrap it, uh, wrap it up and go to the next one because i kept saying i was going to bring in my, my defense of anderson which i think bird has heard before and i don't think he agrees with necessarily but it'll speak to like this movie's like long-term pr- like prospects and i think the, only, the thing i always say about paul w anderson where I, i'm confused as to why people hate him so much because I think he just seems like a director to me that very much knows what he is and who he is and like what kind of marketplace he exists in. And I think he feels like a real callback to like the day of just, you know, those kind of corny exploitation directors. And I, you, you look at a movie like Monster Hunter and it's got this kind of higher budget for what it is. But I, I, I think of a version of this film, basically the same movie, but made with like stop motion animation instead of CGI, but keep it everything else exactly the same. And that is, a, like, let's say that movie came out in like the 60s or 70s. You'd have this whole generation now, including Bird, who would probably <laughs> buy the Blu-ray special edition of it, put out by some specialty label, and talk about how it's this like great thing that everyone should talk about. But because he deals in a more studio realm and has a little bit more money in CGI, everyone just shits on him. And I think that's like so unfair. I think he's making really fun B-movies, really unapologetically. And that's why I celebrate him. I, I, just, yeah. I just think like he, he feels like someone who is, exists in that Roger Corman model and doesn't get enough credit for it. And I think he's just he's a victim of like modern day cynicism about anybody that works in like a more studio realm. Uh, and I just think that's unfortunate. So I just want to make sure I said that before I wrap so up. So you're saying in 30 years, this movie will be like no, an well, that's, release. No, be that's the, release. no, and that's the point I'm making. That it won't be because things have changed, right? That's the point yeah. I'm making. Like, if this movie was, a, I don't know that modern day movies will will be thought will be looked back on and thought like that. Partly because there's just too much coming out yeah. now. You know, that's what's changed too. This whole structure of like cinema has changed. Also, it just seems like younger generations, each subsequent generation is kind of less interested in movies in general because there's now more competition with video gaming and streaming and everything. So I don't think this movie will have that kind of second life. But back in the day, I think it would have. Well, it, it is true. I don't know that I would say this movie is like any better than something like... I'm not even going to go for a Harryhausen and like something like Jack the Giant Killer or something. Yeah, that's what I mean. This movie feels like, you know, like something like a Battle of the Star, Battle of the Stars or something. It's like this movie seems like that, you know, just with like a slightly higher budget. Yeah. Well, and I, I also think I think a lot of the hate that Anderson gets um, comes from hardcore video game fans who feel slighted by some mm-hmm. of his adaptations. Because I, I mean, I don't like Monster Hunter. I, I don't think. It's definitely my least favorite Anderson film. I mean, there are Anderson films that I actually quite enjoy. Um, but I, I think that there are hardcore fans of a lot of IP. I mean, to an extent, like even Aliens or Predator fans that were, you know, felt felt uh, stiffed by that movie. Um, I think it's just a matter of that, like, he does these adaptations, and he does them how he wants to do them. It's not always what people align with. Like, I'm a hardcore Monster Hunter fan, but I also recognize kind of the reality of filmmaking, so... I'm not going to get mad that it's not super accurate to the movie, but I know that a lot of hardcore Monster Hunter fans um, don't feel that way, and then they're yeah. actually just mad. They're like, "Hey, like he he took this thing <laughs> I love and he disrespected it," and you know that's I, I think that's where a lot of the hate comes from for him is these hardcore fans of, and it's not just video games, or whatever it is, but he does adaptations and yeah. And it's also I agree like, with that. The, like, the irony of that is like he also made Mortal Kombat, which to to this day is still like the most accurate video game movie. Yeah, and yeah. and that's like that's the thing is he did that, and people people loved it. I mean, that kicked off his whole career. 
Yeah, and and also I think doing so many Resident Evils and the fans of that game holding it so close to them probably doesn't help. Although, I I do think this is a good time to point out something that, uh, I don't know, Trev pointed out a few days ago is like, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is a little bit kind of going to the point he said about, you know, uh you know, a movie in the 60s that wasn't that great, but it was fun and had monsters and older people like us love them. Like, now the Resident Evil movies are getting, like, there is a little bit more of a, like, the nostalgia factor is kind of kicking in a little bit for them, and it seems like there is a little bit more, uh, like, discussion, or I guess defense of them going on now. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one thing I have to mention, because I know Kevin's going to listen to this, and he would probably, uh, (laughs) he would mention it, is, uh, as we were talking about the whole going to another world, like, going from the real world to the Monster Hunter world, um, another potential reason that that happened could have been Toho, because, like, the number one most popular anime genre right now is called Isekai, and it's just someone from Earth going to a fantasy world. Um, So I would bet that that would resonate with Japanese audiences. <laughs> That's a good point. Cause like a lot of that stuff is you're, you're pulled into a game, but the game becomes real life. And if you die in the game, you die. And if there's a whole, yeah, and it's, it's like, there, there's an excessive amount of anime titles that do that now. Well, that yeah, was, like, uh, wasn't that a, the, that was the plot to that shitty Frankie Muniz horror movie. Wasn't it? <laughs> stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. Stay alive. <laughs> But that, there's like, I mean, ev- there's there's a bunch of those anime titles that, that do that now. So like, that's that's a good, that is a good point. Yeah, it's constant. Bird, what you were just saying about, um, you know, like the Resident Evil movies getting kind of like critically reevaluated. Do you think that's a byproduct of like um, a kind of you don't know what you have until you you miss it kind of mentality of you know people saying, oh wow, well now we're not even getting those kind of like mid level action horror movies anymore you know it was easy there. to like mock them at the time and now it's like well now we only have superhero movies or something you know it's like those kind of movies aren't happening or if they are they're they're getting just dumped onto streaming and they're not being treated as like theatrical releases um so i think i think that's part of it yeah it all, I, I think, it might also I think people finally catching up to me and realizing that they're fun movies and everyone should shut up <laughs> i think when the reboot comes out that's going to splinter a little more because you are going to have those Whenever a new version of anything comes out, yeah. whether it, I mean, you see it with everything, James yeah. Bond, Godzilla, Spider-Man, Batman, like, there are, like, the newest thing is always the best thing, and once the new thing comes out, everyone retroactively shits on the other thing. So yeah, I, th- well, I, think, also, like, I think we are going like to go a... full circle at a certain point with this one. Yeah, and, and then the new one is, like, mm-hmm. more based on the games, and right away you're going to have people saying, even if the new one sucks, they're going to be like, yeah, but it's the game at least, you know, so you'll you'll Yeah. <laughs> And I, no, I think I, in horror yeah. circles, there's also the uh, the fact that everyone loves George Romero, and people know, you know, that we almost had a George Romero Resident Evil, which, uh, Trev, George Romero is like your hero of heroes, but I mean, you, you've told me that you've read that script and it's not very good. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't so, like very much. Yeah. yeah, so I, you know, I'm inclined to believe you, but but I do think having a name like George Romero attached to this unmade Resident Evil thing probably isn't, like, helping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think, and I think honestly, too, like, let's be, let's be honest, like, 
whatever like reevaluation of Resident Evil is happening or, you know, people talking about it, it's fun. They like it now. I mean, most of that is not even about Anderson. It's that people like Miliovich, you know, that's, that's where I think a lot of this comes from is just, I think she's kind of, she's popular. You know, you don't, you don't meet too many people who say like, you might meet people who are, who are ambivalent about her, but no one is like, Oh, I hate her. Or she's like a terrible, like leading lady. It's just people are like either. Yeah, whatever. Or they're like, yeah, she's awesome. I'll see it. Cause she seems cool. Yeah. I, th- I think the worst she gets is, you know, people that, make fun of Anderson for putting her in everything. But yeah. Yeah. That, that's like every director actress. <laughs> she's, I mean, uh, she's better than Sherry moon zombie. I mean, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> ain't that the truth? I totally I forgot did, I, about three musketeers, by the way. Yeah. I, I will be uh, talking about that movie soon. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should plug that right now. I'll just take an opportunity to say, um, you know, if after everyone listens to this, if you want to hear me gush about Miliovich even more, um, my we other don't show. Need, we don't need you gushing about Miliovich anywhere <laughs> near us. Okay. Gushing like that chocolate bar would be in the <laughs> desert. Um, uh, no, in in uh, in May and June, my other podcast, Failure to Franchise, we're doing a two month event called Mela Junvovich, where we're going to be uh, <laughs> reviewing four Miliovich movies that uh, tried to start franchises and didn't. So we'll be taking a look at Ultraviolet, uh, the Hellboy reboot. The Three Musketeers and The Fifth Element. I forgot that at least two of those even existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> now, I, I, I wonder if Alex knows because I was just uh, so when he brought up the fact that the Admiral exists in the video games, I, I hopped on and did a Google image search. And it's it's interesting because, like, you know, we were mocking the wig and everything on Ron Perlman, but now I see it. It actually, you know, they were doing their, their <laughs> hardest to try and make him look like the video game character. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but were you aware that also, and this is interesting because it kind of goes back to the Resident Evil discussion. Um, they're actually adding Artemis to like Monster Hunter World. There's a there's a Miliovich skin that is being put into the game, and I'm looking at screen grabs of it, and it looks really good. It's like a really good likeness, and I just thought that was interesting because there was people who always asked why never why didn't they ever add Alice to the Resident Evil games, and they never did. But at least she's at least she's getting it uh, with this series. Yeah, and I feel like because video games nowadays, especially Monster Hunter, have that more live service model where, like, you can add limited time events, you can add DLC. Um, it would just be, like, it's it's much easier to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then, I feel like, you know, they'd already pressed the, the, the discs for Resident Evil 4. They can't retroactively add something to it. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I, I was still surprised that even, like, with 5 and 6, later on in the Resident Evil series, they didn't try to um, add that stuff in because they were happy to keep making the movies that is kind of strange but yeah that's like mortal Kombat. like i feel like every mortal Kombat game that comes out like you can pretty much play as like any pop culture character <laughs> like, yeah well and, and and um detective pikachu i mean detective pikachu was a game before it was a movie but also like they then in the you could get the detective pikachu pokemon card and stuff you know like it was integrated into all the pokemon merchandise you'd expect didn't really happen. There's an Well, maybe we'll get Artemis in the next Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah. You never know. Who knows? <laughs> Alright, so uh, final thoughts. And uh, we'll... Um, I guess we can rank this. Uh, so a rating out of five perfectly preserved chocolate bars in the desert. Um... <laughs> Uh, Matt, I'll have you go first. Uh, You know, for for this movie, I I think it's something like uh, Silent Hill, right? Video game adaptation. They kind of, in my opinion, they they got a lot right about the premise regardless of what you think about the movie. 
And for me, I feel like for this, they capture the spirit of the game, at least as I know it. And being kind of more of a casual fan of Monster Hunter, like I loved Monster Hunter World. But like I, I feel like they did enough to capture the spirit of the game for me to enjoy that. Um, I do agree the third act is kind of the issue where they start dropping the world build. They, they drop a bunch of stuff for world building, kind of comes out of nowhere. But I had a lot of fun. I really loved also the climax. We haven't talked about that a ton, but like when they finally cross, cross over into our world and you have Rathalos and the military fighting, like those action sequences were a lot of fun. So I'm going to give this a hearty three out of five, but it's actually a recommendation for me. And I think if as a fan, you can get past the expectation of, of what you want to see in a movie and just say, okay, I can appreciate what they, they try to do. I think you can have fun with it. Like I, I, it's short enough and it's, a pretty brisk watch that I I would say people should actually check it out. Uh, I'll go next because I'm not too far off. Um, uh, for what it is, this movie didn't. You know, I I, I I'm pretty neutral on it. Um, so I would give it a three. Um, the it, it's complete nonsense, but I I. F- I felt more like interested watching it than I did again, like something like Rampage, uh, which aside from the monster stuff, it just always bores me. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, you could use one of those fighting the, the, the two fights that, that the two characters have, um, uh, but you know the monster stuff is especially the first encounter with Diabolus and the uh, this the the military against the Rathoros uh, were were really well done. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's something that I would say you know is worth renting. Maybe you know I I, I don't. If this was playing in theaters, I wouldn't be telling you to rush out and go see it. I, you know, it, it, it's it's a movie that is worth renting and, and checking out on like a rainy day, or if it, or when it inevitably plays on like TBS every four days. <laughs> um, it's something that that yeah, you know, go ahead and throw it on. So, you know, I give it a three. I've seen better and I've seen worse. Um, so, uh, since, uh, Alex, uh, is probably the most critical out, out of us, uh, in this case, um, I will pass the mic to you next, sir. All right. Uh, I, I mean, I think that I would give this, uh, I would say two waxy, unmelted chocolate bars, uh, <laughs> out of five, um, just because, like, you know, as a film, like, if if I pull myself out of the Monster Hunter fan mindset and look at it as just, like, a Paul W.S. Anderson action movie, uh, it, it has its moments, but I just found it was so kind of meandering and it felt unfocused um, and it has a really strange third act um, and gets really gross at one point. <laughs> but... It, it was still. It still has fun. It still has its redeeming qualities. Uh, it the parts that I thought I would hate were not the parts that I hated. So it, it kind of surprised me that way. It gets to the point, um, at least at the very beginning, it just gets into it, and that and that act inside the Spider Island um, is actually pretty neat. Uh, and and the special effects and set design and costumes I thought were 
really well done. Uh, apparently, uh, they they were showing you know scenes to Capcom, and they would actually go in and comment on like the size of the monsters' toenails and like their stances, and you <laughs> they, know they, you, <laughs> they get a bunch of Godzilla fans to come in. And <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Oh, his feet aren't right. What the fuck? But, oh yeah, the know. ancient the 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 infamous feet foot girls. controversy feet, feet gate foot gate um the uh yeah so it, you know that that's pretty cool and that they, they were handled pretty well and even though they they enlarge things like the the climax is is really fun to watch and uh, honestly like that that there's a shot where the rathlos is like uh descends on a on a big airplane and grabs its wings uh and it's just a wicked shot you know there's a lot of cool scenes in there and um, so I can't I can't lie and say that I didn't have fun at those moments. Mm-hmm. But overall, I if you're a monster hunter, if you're a hard, hardcore hardcore monster hunter fan, uh, be very cautious. Maybe maybe grab up some friends and some beers, uh, and you'll you'll have fun. Uh, if you're not a monster hunter fan, you're probably not going to understand a lot. But you know it, it they are well made monsters, and uh, y- you might get some enjoyment out of it. But okay. don't expect too much. Right. Yeah, that, it probably deserves closer to like a two two and a half, but. I was feeling generous. Okay, Trev, um, defender of all things Anderson. Let's uh, let's hear it. Um, well, first of all, Matt, I just want to thank you for bringing up Silent Hill because that's another. That's to me, I think that's right up there with Mortal Kombat is like one of the best video game movies that I feel like has been sadly forgotten by time. I remember um, liking that. I I think I yeah. only saw it once, but it's been it's, a very long time. I remember really good. I, it, though. If, I wonder if it's because the sequel is so bad that that's why people have kind of forgotten about the first one. But yeah. Yeah, I, I never saw this. I did like anyone see the sequel? I did. It's bad. It's not. It's bad. If but it, <laughs> like if you like I said, if you like, I played the game with my friends and it freaked us the fuck out. And mm-hmm. I will tell you though, the movie like did the exact same thing. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the movie did, did a really good job of keeping that like tone. And it's it's a good horror movie and a good video game adaptation. Uh, all right, so yeah, I'm 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 just only I'm only slightly more positive on this, but I mean I am I'm definitely the most positive. Um, again, I'm only looking at it from the perspective of someone who uh, likes you know like a like wanted to see a good B movie monster action kind of thing. It's uh, so I can't speak to this as a video game fan. I'd say if you like the Resident Evil movies, if you like you know this kind of unapologetic nonsense you'll probably have a good time with it we, we didn't even mention this but i will say uh, part of the reason i enjoyed it so much and in particular that first two thirds when it's when it's when it's just john mila is that it does something that we don't get with a lot of other kaiju movies and that is you know most kaiju films are two kaijus fighting each other or a kaiju fighting the military in the form of tanks and you know planes and we, and we get that in this movie but we also get just two human sized people fighting monsters and having to come up with like, how do we do this? Like, right. And seeing them put together plans and the ingenuity of that. And that's, that's really fun. And I think for the first two thirds of this movie, when it's just a two hander with these two characters, I was very on board. I found the action really compelling. Uh, I I liked the chemistry between the two. I thought they were amusing. Uh, I'm going to admit, Alex will probably get mad at me now. I even, I kind of laughed when she like knocked over his little uh, shrine. uh, And like, I just thought that was funny. I don't know. I guess it makes me a bad person. But um, yes, we already know you're you're a terrible person. (laughs) Well, I thought because she laughs about it. I don't know. It's it's a good moment. But um, but yeah, the where this movie does start to fall apart is in the third act. So go in knowing that the third act is going to lose you, and the and the mythology stuff is really junky. But as everyone else has said, it kind of comes back around for a, a fun climax. And then like the even the cliffhanger ending is so stupid that you kind of can't help but laugh at it. Um, so I'm going to go with a three point five. I think 
Um, you know, I'm not really bothered by like the, the the lack of. This is a movie I wish to have like less narrative cohesion almost. Like Bird knows, I, I really enjoy like the, the fourth and fifth Resident Evil movies, which are the two that kind of gave up on even trying to tell a story and just became <laughs> like weird, almost borderline experimental. Like let's just have action scene after action scene. And I, I wish this had that because whenever it starts to try to tell a story, it's when it falls apart a little bit. So yeah. this could have got up to like four for me on just a dumb fun level, but I'll stick with three point five because I'm I'm only really invested for two thirds of it. Should have had Wesker in here. Yeah, that would have helped. Because that I don't know the actor's name, but whatever he's doing is <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so that's Monster Hunter. I guess, uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess <laughs> if there's a sequel, we'll talk about it, but I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't hold your, don't hold your breath, people. Yeah, I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Alex, Trev, thank you for uh, yeah. indulging us and in, in coming on here. And, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll... Uh, well, uh, I guess listeners can find Trev, uh, like we, we talked about his two podcasts, Days of Future Podcast and Failure to Franchise. Alex, where can the kids at home find you on the interwebs? Um, the best place is probably my blog, controlallmonsters.com. Um, other than that, you can find me on Twitter at Goji underscore guy. I, I sometimes tweet. But yeah. And I guess I guess Dawn of the Monsters, your your uh your, your you Oh guys, yeah, I guess I your next game is is coming <laughs> this year, right? Of my life. Yeah, so uh, Dawn of the Monsters should be coming out sometime later this year. Um and uh, you can always just check out thirteen AM games. We've got a website, Twitter, all that stuff where we make our announcements and uh, there should be more updates on that front coming soon and there's toys right of of your gate of the dawn of the monsters people can buy toys of these things yeah yeah if um my the the other company that i that i have is seismic uh seismictoys.com um and yeah we've got uh sofa b that we made of two of the characters from the game um and we've got more stuff coming this year for that as well okay so awesome. um uh these uh these guys they're good people so listen to their podcast buy their games buy their toys and and so on and so forth and uh yes we will catch you next time good night everybody Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time. <laughs>